Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Less than 200 days to go. Before what? Before the flags are hoisted, the hymn is sung, and the flame is ignited. I'm talking about Tokyo 2020, of course. It's so close you can now sniff the gold, the silver, and the bronze being smelted as another Olympic and Paralympic year is upon us. And this is Anything But Footy, your weekly guide to all you need to know in the build-up to the events taking place in Tokyo, Japan, later on this year. I'm Michael. And I'm John. And in the next half an hour, we're going to be discussing the Commonwealth Games. I know it's Olympic year, but the Commonwealth Games have been big this week. We'll look ahead to the last major paracycling event before those Tokyo Games. Dan's the man for British tennis as Williams wins again. And we'll also tell you what you missed during the festive fortnight. Uh, don't forget, if you want to get in touch with us, you can via our website, www.anythingbutfooty.com. Uh, you can always find us on Twitter, of course. We'd love to receive your messages there at anythingbutf. And don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram and on YouTube. And you can contact us there as well. Maybe we're not talking about the sport you follow and you'd like to hear more on Anything But Footy. Well, do drop us a message. But as John says, we're going to start with the Commonwealth Games and an update on a story that we've been following on Anything But Footy on the podcast for a couple of months now. It all goes back to the fact that shooting isn't on the programme for Birmingham 2022. Now, this upset India. They won 16 of their 66 medals in shooting at the last edition of the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast in Australia. And they threatened to boycott Birmingham 2022 unless shooting was restored to the programme. Now, they have reversed somewhat from that position and they confirmed this week that they would be taking part in the Birmingham Games. But there has been an innovative approach to 
involving shooting into the Commonwealth Games in 2022. Now, Birmingham have added beach volleyball, para-table tennis and women's cricket to the programme, but said there was no West Midlands benefit to having shooting on the programme as the nearest venue would be Bisley in Surrey, which incidentally hosted the shooting when the Games were in England in Manchester in 2002. Now, shooting doesn't have to be on the programme. It's not a core sport. So what is this innovative solution? Well, shooting and archery as well, which has also been left off the programme, could be staged as Commonwealth Games events with the medals going towards the medal table in India months before the main event hits Birmingham and the West Midlands in 2022. Seems to me, John, a neat solution. Well, the UK government has certainly welcomed the apparent offer from the Indian Olympic Committee, Michael. India, of course, with its huge population, is key to the event to be relevant. And also post-Brexit, obviously, it's a showcase to the world. This is the first time ever in the Commonwealths that shooting hasn't been included. So you can see why they're upset. You can see kind of why they threatened to boycott. I'm glad that they've turned around and said, no, actually, um, we are going to take part. But I'm concerned that this is the wrong decision for the Commonwealth Games. It hasn't been approved yet, and they'll look at it. However, the Commonwealth Games Federation has described it as innovative uh, with the ambition of strengthening the Commonwealth sport. I don't understand, Michael, by having an event that is nothing to do with the host city, as you rightly say, no benefit to the West Midlands taxpayers who are paying for this event in 2022, of having an event hundreds of miles away in India when it's a bit like a playground row. It's my ball. I'm going home. I'm taking it home with me. India, we won lots of medals in shooting. We only want to take part if they're shooting. If not, we're going home. So I know she's had an incredibly tough week. And uh, I'm sorry to Her Majesty the Queen, who is head of the Commonwealth. And I'm sure she'll be listening to this podcast as it's been a tough week already. But I now think it's time to scrap it. The Commonwealth Games I'm talking about. It is becoming an irrelevance if everybody who doesn't get their sport threatens to quit. It's never been that high profile. I remember Edinburgh 86, Manchester 02, as you mentioned, Michael, Glasgow 2014. And yes, I am excited about Birmingham 2022, but not because it's the Commonwealth Games, but because it's a bit like 2012 and the excitement of the Olympics. And my issue is with it, I don't remember any other Commonwealth Games. Melbourne in 2006? Nope. Uh, Victoria, 1994? I had to look these up. I did remember Kuala Lumpur, which apparently was 1998, and Delhi. But that was for different reasons because of all the rows and the issues they had beforehand. So I'm afraid to say I don't agree with the Commonwealth Games Federation that this is strengthening Commonwealth sport. I think it's detrimental to the multi-sport event and allowing big nations to decide everything, because if they don't take part, it becomes even more of an irrelevance, means that, I'm sorry, at the end of the day, and nobody wants to stage this after Birmingham, and Birmingham have come in to rescue because Durban pulled out. I think we're saying the Commonwealth Games is coming to an end. I think you're talking absolute nonsense. And I think you've (laughs) answered your own question there when you've said that nobody wants to stage this after 2022. No one wants to come forward and stage it in its current form. But you're just looking at an old romantic notion. 
you're talking about Kuala Lumpur, you're talking about Victoria, you're talking about uh, games even as, as relevant and as recent as Manchester in 2002, but that was a very, very different world we were living in. We're now living in an instant world in terms of you know being able to download and watch things online. We don't have to have all the events now taking place within a 20-mile radius of each other because we're in a, an era now with broadcast technology and everything else and the way mobile phones and social media and downloading takes place now where we can spread the love and spread the wealth and talking about spreading the wealth if you talk about scrapping the commonwealth games which is one of your more ridiculous ideas i have to say then what you are doing is you are having a massive economic impact look at the facts and figures i will state the facts and figures to you now because you are just talking hyperbole and you're talking as i said with this old romantic notion that it all has to take place within a certain area Birmingham 2022 will cost £788 million. Let's go back to Glasgow, the last time we can really compare like for like a games in this, in this country. £740 million contributed to the Scottish economy in 2014. Over 2,000 jobs created. Following 2014, 57 further international events came to Commonwealth Games venues. 35 million people watched it in the UK alone. It propelled the reputation of Glasgow and the long-term investment in regeneration, I'm talking about public and private investment, meant substantial housing improvements amongst other things. Let me quote you one fact here. In the Go Well East area of Glasgow after the Games, before the Games, 52% of people said they felt safe in the neighbourhood at night. Following Glasgow 2014 and the improvements, that figure rose to 72%. The Gold Coast, they hosted it in 2018. It was a Games of firsts. There were first medals for five Commonwealth islands and states. It was the first time equal medals were handed out for men and women. It was delivered on time, on budget, a $2.5 billion boost to the Queensland economy. 82% of Games contracts worth $1.7 billion Australian dollars went to Queensland businesses. And there was an $840 million Australian dollar growth in trade and investment. Further to that... 20,000 pieces of sports equipment was then gifted to schools, councils and local organisations. And off the back of it, Brisbane and the Gold Coast will be launching a bid to host the Olympic Games in 2032. How you can call this irrelevant, I just simply do not understand. Well, it's, it's irrelevant because, again, you've answered your question. It is beneficial to Birmingham to host the event. The fact that the shooting and the archery takes place hundreds of miles away is irrelevant to Birmingham and therefore should have nothing to do with the Birmingham Commonwealth Games because it's not the same thing. So all the argument you've made there about the Gold Coast and about Glasgow is absolutely valid. And that is my point, that Birmingham should be the city that benefits from it because you, they are the hosts. They are risking this money. And I know you say that... that you can raise money and, and people come and visit, but it's also a risk, which is why Durban didn't want to do it because they, they were fed up of, of, of spending money for something that may well be a benefit, but you don't guarantee it. And Birmingham sh decided that shooting wasn't part of what they wanted to be the Commonwealth Games. And the Commonwealth Games Federation was absolutely delighted that Birmingham stood, stood, stood forward and accepted that. Well, you then can't turn around and go, oh, well, poor India. Oh, they're very, very important. We need to make sure they're, they're important. And just having one event in India is going to do nothing for, the, for India. 
why don't they stage the Commonwealth Games better than they did in Delhi in 2010? Because the whole you know build up to that was a total and utter fiasco, frankly, and during the games as well. Then they need to concentrate on staging their own games in the future. And then they can put on their own events. That's my issue with it. It's not about host cities. It's not a, um, as you said, a romantic view of uh, sport as it used to be. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Birmingham are stumping up the cash. The taxpayers are stumping up the cash for this. They've decided this is the sport that they want. And just because India have had a little playground tiff that they think that they can you know, make the whole way that sport or multi-sport events... Um, take place in the future they think they can change it for forever and if you're not going to do that michael then actually just have one event because the commonwealth games are only staged in the uk or australia for what i can see at the moment um they're the only two countries that are actually willing to put it on because they have had the benefits from it you went to the gold coast you saw the benefits we were at glasgow we saw the benefits and it continues and you came with some great stats there but we're the only countries that are actually going to stage it so the the other option for that is then okay the commonwealth games from now on will always be in australia or the uk and it's always at bisley or it's always at the velodrome in scott in glasgow or it's always at the Olympic Park in London it's always at the Gold Coast where they had those events in Brisbane and then that becomes the Commonwealth Games at the moment what I'm saying is this should not be the way that a multi-sport event is being um, fixed by 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 teams and by nations and by countries having hissy fits over whether sports are in or not no because the Commonwealth Games that you're talking about is a Commonwealth Games that's probably Irrelevant now in terms of the fact that once upon a time it had to all be hosted in one city. But we don't have to have the Commonwealth Games like that anymore. You know, when Glasgow hosted it, they hosted diving in Edinburgh. When Manchester hosted but that's it... A tra- hosted- that's, a, that's a train ride away. India is hundreds of miles away. Well, I know, but it's a different world now. It's a train ride, it's a plane ride. People are hopping around the planet, and it's not the fact that you're having to go to these events. I'm not asking you, you know, to host or or to present or to broadcast from the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham and also be at the shooting, which is a plane ride away. I'm saying that with technology now, there's no reason why we can't spread the love. You talked, obviously, there about a Commonwealth Games that will either take place in Britain or take place in Australia bit disrespectful, I think, to New Zealand or possibly Canada that might step up and host further editions. But I think but South Africa will that. come back in. Well, none I think Canada Canada will probably, I think, come forward and, and host the 2030 Games, which will be the centenary, 100 years after they, they started it. So it has to innovate. It has to change. It's still so, so important. And the way that the European Championships, which were hosted in Glasgow, but had athletics in Berlin, and the next edition of that Hated will be main. That well. Hated well, that as well. It will mainly be in Germany, but there'll be aquatics in in Italy. I'm saying you've got to you've got to change your opinion. You've got to go with the times. That's why Euro 2020 is taking place across Europe because that is the only way that these events are going to survive. If people no, no, are willing celebra- to accept, uh, no, 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 football. That's a celebra- The Euro 2020 in the, it is a celebration because it's an anniversary and they it's want platini- to include everyone. It's Platini's idea, and and look what what has happened, obviously, (laughs) subsequently to Michelle Platini. But, you know, they, UEFA, have had some issues with staging with Poland and Ukraine having to share it. So this was their way, I think, they've they've obviously spun it that this is their celebration event, this is their anniversary event, and that's why they're having to spread the love. But they want to take it to places like Baku. They want to 
sell the game of football into places like Azerbaijan. They can't give the entire tournament there just yet, although FIFA are going to attempt to do it with Qatar. So this is one way they've got of doing it. Some of these major events, which are becoming too expensive to host by one, maybe two countries, now need to look at different ways of hosting it. And I think the Commonwealth Games, by hosting some events potentially in India and some events in England, that is a way forward. That is the way they can continue uh, to continue to stage the games. I tell you what, Michael, let India host the shooting and the archery. See if it brings any in, you know, boost to them in any way, shape or form, um, apart from winning some medals, which they obviously are desperate to do, uh, rather than... Uh, but I just think they should offer to host the Games in 2026, because someone needs to. So instead of moaning about Birmingham 2022, let them get on with it, and actually focus on doing something good, as you rightly say, with all these stats about what a benefit it is to have a host uh, city of the Commonwealth Games. They should be looking to host it in 2026. That's, that's my the, argument. That's the first sensible thing you've said in the whole debate, and that is that maybe <laughs> India should step up and say, yeah, we'll try and, and host it in 2026. And, and people will point the finger and say, look at Delhi in 2010. It's 16 years on from uh, from Delhi. So I think it's maybe, as I said, the most sensible thing you've said in the whole argument, which is maybe India should be looking uh, to put a host bid uh, together, and maybe 2026 is the time before it goes to Canada, as I predict, in 2030. Let's move on on Anything But Footy, your Olympic and Paralympic sport bro- um, podcast. And the 2020 Youth and Winter Olympic Games are currently taking place. Lausanne in Switzerland is the uh, host city of this. 13 days of competition, 16 sports. So all the major Winter Olympic sports are there. Figure skating, curling, uh, skiing, bobsleigh, biathlon and others. 70 nations uh, are taking part. 20 eight team GB athletes competing we're in the very early stages of the uh, youth Olympics at the moment we'll have full reports here including interviews with those in Switzerland coming soon on anything but footy if you want to follow the action this week I'd point you in the direction of three people Nick Hope of the BBC he's on Twitter at Nick Hope TV he's out there working for uh, the BBC working for News Round and BBC News uh, fantastic coverage he's being offered there been watching quite a lot of his pieces online excellent stuff uh, an old friend of anything but footy Philip Barker's out there as well for Inside the Games uh, they are carrying reports and you can find Philip and he'll point you in the direction on Twitter at P Barker Sport and the excellent Team GB digital team of course out there as well and they are covering the games on their online and digital channels and they They are streaming events online live as well. So those are three ways of following the Youth Olympics if you want to follow it. And staying with winter sports, skeleton and bobsleigh, much focus for us on Tokyo 2020. But for our snow and ice stars, it's all about Beijing 2022. Now, the sliding circuits in France at La Plagne at the moment in the skeleton for Great Britain. Madeline Smith, with her best ever result, finished 8th. Laura Dees finished 11th. That's a name you might recognise from the last Winter Olympics. And Kim Murray finished 18th. In the men's event, Marcus Wyatt finished 14th. Jerry Rice, 20th. And Craig Thompson, 21st. Good results in the bobsleigh. In the two-man bob, uh, Misha McNeil and Montel Douglas finished 8th. That's after uh, Misha struggled with illness in the week, building up to things. And Bradley Hall and Greg Cackett finished 4th. That is the best result ever. And looking at the Twitter feed from uh, British Skeleton and Bob Slay, they say that's the best British result since they can remember. Uh, results as well in the four-man Bob Slay, Bradley Hall and Greg Cackett, uh, joined there by Taylor Lawrence and Luke Marcus Dawes. They finished eighth. Meanwhile, in the Europa Cup event, there was a gold for Amelia Coltman and a silver for Matt Weston in the Skeleton at the Europa Cup. 
Kadena Cox has been named by British Cycling in the 23-strong squad to compete at the UCI Paracycling Track World Championships in Milton in Canada at the end of the month. The reigning world champion and double Paralympic champion in athletics and cycling in Rio had a relapse of her eating disorder during the World Para Athletics Championships in Dubai at the end of last year, winning silver in the 400 metres. So fellow reigning world track cycling champions Dame Sarah Storey, Jodie Cundy, James Ball, Neil Fackey and Matt Rotherham and Sophie Thornhill and Helen Scott are also part of that squad and this is the final major international track competition before the Paralympics in Tokyo in August absolutely huge and staying with cycling Eric Roussel uh, the brother of Olympic gold medalist Joanna and former professional cyclist has joined British Cycling as a new role of elite road racing manager he'll focus on developing and growing the men's and women's domestic road calendar having finished eighth in the 2015 Tour de Yorkshire and retiring last September and talking of Yorkshire, the double Olympic gold medalist Ali Brownlee, Alistair Brownlee from Leeds, has announced this week he is targeting another Olympic medal. Now, if you heard our Great British Bosses podcast, Andy Salmon, who's the CEO of British Triathlon, hinted that this might be the case in Series 1. It means that Ali Brownlee will now be going for his fourth Games, aged 32 in Tokyo, his last World Series win in 2017, his last World Series run over the Olympic distance, though, He finished just 44th, John. Yeah, and Andy Salmon told us that he felt, Ali felt, he'd gone as far as he could last year in Leeds when, of course, he threatened to Michael to retire post-race. That was a low spot for him, clearly. He's had a tough year, 18 months. Um, But he's such a phenomenal athlete. Yeah, not not just in terms of what he's achieved, but his ability to, to push himself, to do things that most people would logically say shouldn't be possible. And he seems to be able to do that. Um, so thankfully he's not retired and I hope he's not going to retire for, for quite some time yet to come. I remember that conversation as well with Alistair Brownlee that Andy Salmon was referring to there but I think what's happened subsequently and you know we're coming up nearly a, a year on from, from that interview in Leeds I did with Alistair after that World Series event is actually he's had an injury free time if you remember mm. at this point in the cycle ahead of 2012 he was suffering with a torn Achilles head of 2016 at this point in the cycle he had an ankle operation he had hamstring injuries as well so actually I think in terms of the Olympic cycles he's actually fitter than he's ever been and also don't forget we've got a team event as well so I know that there's been a lot of focus on him going for a third individual gold medal Al Long's time suspicion though is that it might be that he goes in the team event and potentially doesn't try and defend his individual title I mean has your has your view on that changed somewhat this week based on this latest statement and interview I think you know he said the decision has crept up on me a bit I want to go to another Olympics I want to see what I might be able to do and I've said this so many times to you isn't it defending an Olympic title is hard enough in itself do it three times over three games all I can think of is Redgrave uh, Pinson Usain Bolt and you know these are Olympic names that are synonymous with glory and you know if he can go and do that then good on him but I think you're right I think the team relay is something that he is thinking well there's another opportunity for me to do that and we talked about that in last week's pod didn't we it's a new event in Tokyo so good luck to Ali Uh, it's good to have him back and we wish him well can I just revise one prediction I made in last week's pod um Which, which was that the no, Team GB, now. the Team GB flag bearer, I said in Tokyo would be Tom Daly. 
I think if Alistair Brownlee's named in the team, I think he is a dependent on the programme of when triathlon is. Uh, I think he would be a very good bet to carry the flag into the Olympic Stadium at the opening ceremony. See, you should have said that a week ago. You can't just change your mind. Well, I hadn't heard this interview with him a week ago. <laughs> I should also mention that Alistair Brownlee is standing to represent athletes on the IOC Athletes Commission as well. You're listening to Anything But Footy. This is your unashamedly Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. And we talk all things Olympics and Paralympics and Team GB week in, week out. And this, this all came about uh, because, of course, uh, John and I have a love affair with the Olympics and the Paralympics. And we always fondly remember London 2012, which is where we first sort of started working quite closely together. And Olympic boxing is returning to the capital because it will stage the Olympic qualifiers or at least the first opportunity in March uh, for boxers to help secure an Olympic place. It will be taking place in London's Copper Box on the Olympic Park, uh, the first European qualifier, 450 boxers approximately, uh, 50 nations. There's 77 places in Tokyo up for grabs in boxing. And I think this is what people sometimes forget, the Olympic boxing tournament, just to get there itself, in itself, you know, is a fantastic achievement. Essentially, if you're fighting in the Olympics at boxing, you've already reached the quarterfinals or, or semi-finals, if you like, of your competition. So Team GB will send just eight men and five women. Uh, those who fail to make the cut at the Copper Box will be given another opportunity in Paris in May. And if you want to register your interest for tickets, the event's taking place over 10 days between the 14th and the 24th of March. Website to go to Boxing Road to Tokyo, London. That's Boxing Road to TokyoLondon.org. Serena Williams has won her first title in three years after sweeping aside fellow American Jess Pegula. The 38-year-old won the Auckland Classic in straight sets. It's her 73rd WTA victory, having lost five finals since winning her 23rd and last Grand Slam in Australia in 2017. Of course, the Aussie Open starting in a number of weeks. Australia has also been staging the first ATP Cup. It's the same format as the Davis Cup. Same issue for me. Why aren't they having a combined men's and women's event instead of an all-men? But anyway... Uh, Great Britain, captained by Tim Henman, lost out in the quarterfinals to the Aussies. But Dan Evans continued to have a good week and goes into the Aussie Open as British number one and ranked 31 in the world. A year ago, he was ranked 189. And Novak Djokovic inspired Serbia, beat Rafa Nadal's Spain in the ATP Cup final. Note that down. That's John talking sense twice on the podcast now in saying that things like the Davis Cup and the ATP Cup should have men and women's events side by side. Let's move on to distance running and former marathon world record holder Wilson Kipsang has provisionally been suspended following a whereabouts failures and sample tampering. So another doping issue that we're bringing you on anything but footy. He's a two times London marathon winner. He's also the only man to beat Elliot Kipchoge over 26.2 miles. You might remember he won a bronze medal at the Olympic Games in 2012 in London. The statement from his management company have said they are reinforcing it. It is just an accusation at the moment and no prohibited substances have been found. He, of course, is Kenyan, Wilson Kipsang. Kenya have had a great weekend at the prestigious Valencia 10K races. They've taken five 
of the available podium places. Uh, Kenyans Ronex Kiprutu, 26.24, a men's world record time over the 10-kilometer distance. And also Kenya's Sheila Shepkirai, uh, 29.42, a women's world record. So two world records for Kenyan runners over 10K in Valencia. And as I said, five of the available podium places as well. So a mixed week uh, for Kenyan distance running, you should say. One of their big names, uh, provisionally suspended, but then some fantastic performances across the weekend. Callum Hawkins of Scotland, incidentally, finished 11th. Staying with distance running, Mo Farah has launched Mo's Million Mile Challenge to raise money for the Youth Sport Trust. He's targeting, as we brought you in 2019 on Anything But Footy, another 10,000 metres gold medal in Tokyo. Of course, he was put up for a number of interviews as part of this launch for Mo's Million Mile Challenge. So again, he was questioned this week about his links to Alberto Salazar. And he said in response to those questions, he would have been the first one out had he known the truth about Alberto Salazar. This seems to contradict some of his previous statements and press conferences. Of course, the original Panorama programme was in 2015. That was the programme that first brought up some of these accusations. He didn't leave Salazar until 2017. In one way, John, he's Mo Farah's just been tremendously badly advised, hasn't he? Yeah, we've been talking about this, haven't we, about and, and encouraging him to be more clearer and speaking out more about it. I think in the interview as well, Michael, he said, I wish I'd known quicker. And I suppose... He did the, know. The, the, the question I can only... The only thing I can really think of um, looking at it is, did he... What he actually meant to say is, I wish I'd been certain yep, rather yeah, than yes. quicker. Because quicker would suggest he didn't know anything, and as you rightly say, the, the the you know the panorama came out in 2015. He didn't leave the now defunct Nike Oregon project until 2017, uh, when the coach Salazar was charged by USADA, the US anti-doping agency. So that's the only thing I can think of is whether he meant to say, I I, I wish I'd been certain about it. And again, that goes back to your point: the advice that he's been getting hasn't been good enough. Now he's put he wants to distance himself from Salazar as he returns to the Olympics like Ali Brownlee going for another gold at a third games. And he also said, I believe me and my coach Gary Luff are going out there to do the best we can and I haven't been part of Salazar for the last two years. So you can see that he's had some better advice about speaking about it and trying to be clear but I'm not sure that quite came over again with the phrase that he used, quicker. Yeah, this is someone, and, and you know this as well as I do, who's trailed when he's you know, at these events, at these media days, at these events, by a PR team. Not just a PR yeah. person, but a PR team. These are people that he's putting money in their pocket to advise him. And yet, since all of this blew up, in 2015, since that first programme, at no point has he done an interview or a press conference where you've been left with the impression that he's, one, been advised well, and two, said the right thing. Now, Mm. you know, he will always say and point to his record, he's never failed at a drugs test, but some at some point in this process you you want to listen to him talk don't you and and words are cheap and press conferences and interviews with the likes of us aren't everything but they are a vessel in which you can communicate your your wider message and your wider thought process to the wider public and at no point in this four year process has he done that in any way that makes the general public believe what he's saying 
Yeah, we all know that Harry and Meghan at some point are going to sit down with a friendly journalist and put their side of their story into what's been going on this week. What Mo Farah should have done, because there are lots of friendly journalists out there, he should have already done that. Yes. And, and as you rightly say, he's never done it. And that's for me, that's a simple thing. He needs to sit down with them and, and, and explain and, and just get the right phrase. For goodness sake, you know, if he, you know, as you rightly say, he's never tested positive for drugs. He's always denied any wrongdoing. But it's never quite come over that way. No, for a man who, you know, in his running style can, can lead from the front and show an amazing turn of pace over a, a final lap. In terms of his, his media and PR and the people that have been advising him behind the scenes, he's just been playing constant catch-up, hasn't he? He's always just been on the shoulder, if you like, of the journalists who have been leading the narrative in this story. And I think, you know, that's, that, that's been a mistake with the, the Farrah team, I think, over the, the, the past four years. Totally agree. You're listening to Anything But Footy, the Olympic and the Paralympic Sport Podcast. Let's just round up a few other bits and pieces you might have missed over the festive period. And we'll stay with distance running. Callum Hawkins, who we mentioned, uh, the Scots Marathon runner, has been pre-selected by British Athletics for Tokyo 2020. The marathon will be taking place not in Tokyo, but in Sapporo on the 8th of August. He finished ninth in Rio. Fourth in Doha at the last World Championships and British Athletics say that his early selection means he has the best possible build-up uh, in terms of trying to win a medal over the marathon distance in Tokyo or Sapporo. So- Exactly. Uh, Or India, if you're shooting. Uh, 32-year-old Olympic champion sailor Giles Scott admitted the fourth place finish in the Finn World Championships was a wake-up call over the festive fortnight. The 2019 European champion struggled in the final double points medal race in Melbourne and slipped out of the medals entirely. London 2012, of course, is now eight years ago, but the IOC continue to test samples from the Games using the very latest available technology, and that has caught out 33-year-old Alexei Turakiti of the Ukraine. The men's weightlifter has been stripped of his gold medal after his sample was reanalyzed. Olympic gold medalist Alex Danson has returned to the Great Britain hockey setup 18 months after suffering a head injury on holiday. The 34-year-old with more than 300 caps and scored a record equaling 115 times suffered severe concussion after hitting her head on a wall in 2018. Although she's not 100%, she says time is running out for Tokyo and wants to compete again after winning gold and bronze in Rio and London respectively. And Danson's not played since captaining England in their World Cup quarterfinal loss to the Netherlands in August 2018. And anything but footy is an uncle. And we are so proud to announce it as well. Congratulations uh, to Kate and Helen Richardson Walsh. Uh, We know both of them very well. Uh, Congratulations to them both on the birth of baby Pfeiffer, who was born on New Year's Eve. They describe themselves as utterly blessed. Well done, Kate and Helen. Congratulations to you both. And talking of congratulations, Adam Peaty followed his triumphant Anything But Footy British Sportsman of the Year award, a previous podcast, if you missed it over Christmas, uh, by being named European Swimmer of the Year. The Olympic champion won three more world titles, taking his tally to a British record eight in total and became the first person ever to swim under 57 seconds in the 100 metre breaststroke. It's the third time he's been named the best swimmer in Europe. Well done, Adam. So what is the future for the Commonwealth Games? We've debated it at length. We'd love to hear your views on it. You can get in touch with us via our website. That's www.anythingbutfooty.com. You can tweet us at anythingbutf as well. And you can also find us on Facebook, on Instagram and on YouTube. We are your unashamedly Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. We are Anything But Footy. 
Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.